You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, welcome in. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, recording from the great metropolis of Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out to listen to this episode of the podcast. This is episode 143. That's right, the big 143. And we're going to be chatting about a guy by the name of Josephus. You uh, you may already be familiar with Josephus. Uh, if you're not, I'm excited to introduce you to him. Josephus is a, a very important character in Jewish and Christian history. And, and his writings have had a profound impact in, in, a lot of, in a lot of different ways. And so I think it's important that all of us be familiar with him and his work. Uh, before we dive into that, quick reminder to everyone about the importance of being subscribed to the podcast. It's the only way to guarantee you never miss an episode. If you're subscribed, as soon as an episode goes live, it gets delivered directly to your device. Make sure you are subscribed. The, the, the best and easiest way to make sure that you're subscribed is to head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. One other bit of news before we dive into the content for this episode, I want to encourage everyone to check out my other podcast, the Student Ministry Podcast, in particular for those of you who maybe work in student ministry or youth ministry of any kind. If you or someone you know is investing in the lives of middle school, high school, or college students, I want to highly encourage you to check out the podcast. I think this will be a great source of, of wisdom, inspiration, encouragement, as well as uh, give you some tools and resources to help you as you seek to serve in student ministry. The best way to check that podcast out again is to hit our website it's studentministrypodcast.com all right let's dive into the topic at hand who was josephus and why does this man matter why are we centuries later reading the writings uh, of this man named josephus and and how has he impacted the world i think it's really important to know you know who this man was and why his writings are important uh, if you've been listening to the podcast for for an extended period of time, you would know that you've you've probably heard me mention Josephus. There is one episode where, where I dialogued quite a bit uh, with one of our interview guests uh, about Josephus back in episode forty six. I did an episode with Dr. John Morris, and we dialogued about uh, extra biblical evidences for the resurrection. Basically, you know, w- was there any documentation about the resurrection of Jesus outside of the Bible? And there are several, actually, uh, but the primary source was this man named Josephus. And in episode 46, uh, Dr. John Morris and I dialogued quite a bit. Highly encourage you to check out episode 46 uh, if you're interested in that. Uh, Basically, Josephus is our primary source for understanding the Jewish and Judean world in the first century and beyond. In fact, PBS uh, ran a story not too long ago where they where they literally called him that that was the title they gave him that he is our primary source and they're talking specifically about uh, our understanding of the Judean region of the world. He is our primary source when we come to when it comes to reconstructing our understanding of history in the in the, you know, in the 200-year period leading up to 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple. I'm going to get into just get into a little more than that in just a moment. Uh, Eric Myers, who's a professor of religion and archaeology at Duke University, he's, this is what this is how he describes Josephus. He says Josephus is our Bible. He's our roadmap. He's the guy we all turn to. Like I mean, that's an incredible amount of praise. Saying like all of us in the world of studying religion and archaeology in the world of academia. 
Josephus is the guy we go to. Now, later, Eric Myers does has does call into question some things that Josephus wrote. Does, there, there are some areas where Josephus does seem to not be as reliable as others, but generally speaking, he is the primary source that we turn to. Uh, Louis Feldman, who is uh, you know, a, a world-renowned um, you know, professor of classics and literature. He has his PhD from Harvard. Uh, he was a longtime, uh, you know, a longtime college professor and has written a lot of things. Louis Feldman says this about Josephus. He says that Josephus is the chief guide for the archaeologists in the process of recreating the economic, social, political, and cultural life of Judea. Right? When, when it comes to understanding what was going on in the world, in the in that part of the world in Judea in you know Palestine what is what is modern day uh, Israel and modern day Syria modern day Lebanon like the the region of the world that is modern day the Palestinian region if you want to understand what was going on in that part of the world in the in the first century and before that the, the primary guide to understand what was going on is is this guy named Josephus. And so who, who was Josephus and why does he matter? Let's kind of just give a brief overview. Uh, Josephus was actually, uh, and he served as a leader in a variety of different roles within uh, the Jewish world. He was primarily a priest and, and religious leader, um, and he was a historian. He would document uh, his, history and document things that were going on in the world. And he began writing um, when he was uh, in, his, in his late 20s and early 30s, uh, right around, you know, 64, you know, 60 to 64 AD, roughly around that time frame. Um, and at some point, Josephus takes up the cause to be a military leader, a military commander. And he actually becomes one of the uh, military commanders in the Roman Judeo Wars. Uh, to understand kind of why this is important, it's important to also understand the, the background of the Jewish people and how they were. Uh, you know, or how they were ended up being occupied by the Romans. Uh, if you're not familiar, the, the Roman Empire obviously starts in Rome, um, in what's modern day, you know, central and southern Italy and that part of the world. And and from there, uh, there's all these different Greek and Italian uh, city-states. And the, the city of Rome begins to expand and take over large regions of the world. Uh, this happens over the course of several centuries. It was obviously, it was not an overnight thing. And often as the Romans would would expand their territory. They would take over people groups. Sometimes those people groups would submit very quickly. They would go, hey, the Romans are bigger and stronger than us. Let's just submit to them. We'll we'll pay them taxes and and we'll just continue to we'll continue our way of life and we'll begin to just kind of uh, you know be, become a part of the Roman Empire. And in in most parts of the world, the regions that were taken over by the Roman Empire would kind of just acclimate to be a, to being a part of Rome. They, they would just their culture would begin to shift, um, and they would kind of just become Roman in a lot of ways. And within a few generations, would lose a lot of their distinctions. They would go from being what they were before to now being a very Roman version of that thing. In, in a lot of cases, particularly if you were, you know, if you were closer to Rome, you were more likely to adopt the culture of Rome. If you were further out in the outskirts, you were maybe more likely to keep some of your distinctions because you were further away from kind of ground zero, so to speak. Um, but but in most cases, there was a lot of embracing of Roman culture, of Greek culture, of of kind of this this kind of melting pot idea. Um, but there were a few regions of the world where after, even after they were taken over by the Romans, that really fought to remain distinct and separate in their culture and their values. Um, and the Jewish people really are unique in that way. Most peoples didn't really do it the way the Jews did. The Jews were emphatic to keep their 
to keep their culture, at least most of them were. There were a version of the Jewish people that wanted to really embrace, you know, Greco-Roman culture and really wanted to kind of have a, a what is often referred to as a Hellenistic view on being a Jew. They wanted to really kind of allow themselves to be influenced by Greek culture, Greek archaeology, a variety of the things that the, the Greco-Roman world you know, kind of had expanded. There were a lot of Jews that wanted to embrace that. But there is a unique uh, uniqueness in that a large population of the Jewish people didn't want to do that. They wanted to fight against the Jewish people, or excuse me, the Jewish people wanted to fight against the Romans. And so that start, start that, sent, that set off uh, a whole set of different wars between the Jewish people and the people who lived in the Judeo region versus the Roman leadership in the Roman government, the Roman military. And so there were there was a series of battles fought. We often refer to this as the Jewish wars or the or the Roman Judea wars. And the reason why the Jewish people were, were largely were emphatic about keeping their own distinction and, and not submitting to the Roman way of life was because they believed the Messiah was going to come, that, that God was going to send them a person that was going to be uh, born and was going to become the king of Israel and was going to overthrow the Roman government and he was going to lead them into this victorious battle. And so they felt the need to remain distinct, remain separate and fight against the oppression of the Romans until the Messiah could come. That was sort of the the ideology of most Jews in the first century. Um, So this is the climate in which Jesus is born into, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. This has been you know, they had already been occupied by the Romans before Jesus was born, and throughout the course of Jesus' life, he is. He, people are looking to him and asking him if he's the Messiah because they're expecting him to become the king, a political leader, and they weren't looking for a spiritual Messiah. They were looking for a, a political Messiah, someone who would who would be a military commander. And so, a lot of the religious leaders, in, some, in many cases, who who would be great teachers who were looked to as messiahs, then oftentimes would be looked to also as military commanders. If you understand what was going on, it's not a it's not a surprise that Josephus would turn would go from being religious leader to military commander. And not not that Josephus was proclaiming to be the, be the messiah or that people were looking to be him to be the messiah, but the understanding that making a jump from religious leader to military commander wasn't that wasn't that crazy of an idea. Um, right around 65 66 A.D. Uh, this is the moment where we see uh, Josephus begins to become a military commander and he he leads the Jewish people in one of the greatest stands against the Roman Empire. Eventually they surrender and they lose and, and Josephus is taken captive. In many cases, the the leader of these insurrections, the leader of people who would kind of rebel, would often be killed. It would often be crucified and set on display kind of to let everyone know, listen, hey, you don't mess with us. But, but Josephus was unique in that he was well-educated, he had been a historian, um, and he developed a relationship with, the, with one of the military commanders who was fighting in the Jewish wars, you know, fighting against, for the Romans against the Jews, this guy Vesperian. He kind of developed a relationship with him, and how he did that, there, there are some varying reports. Um, but ultimately, Vesperian um, took him in. Not, not too long later, Vesperian becomes the emperor of Rome, and... And he brings with him this Jewish historian, well-educated religious leader, and brings with him, you know, back, brings him back to Rome with him. And Josephus then seemingly tra- trades against the Jewish people. He seemingly goes from being loyal to the Jewish causes to being loyal to the Roman causes. And and then he is kind of brought into the fold. He develops this great friendship um, with the emperor's son, uh, and he even takes on the the emperor's family name. 
um, Flavius, who becomes Flavius Josephus. Uh, he takes on their their, their 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 Roman name. He becomes very Roman in his culture, and then he kind of lives out his days being historian. He was paid by the Roman Empire. Uh, to be a historian, to basically document. And in that day, that was actually not uh, uncommon. The, the Romans were very, they thought it was very important to restore history, to keep history intact. And so they would pay for people to document things that were going on. It was often vetted, it was often examined, and then it would be documented in some secure manner and then would be preserved for future generations to read history. And so Josephus was hired and paid to be the official Roman historian on the Jewish people, basically. So he, he writes quite a bit about the, the two centuries leading up to uh, the, the Roman Jewish wars and what was going on in the Jewish world. He really documents that well. He does the research and all the knowledge that they had at that time, he documents that. He documents the things he experienced firsthand, and then he documents things you know going all the way up until his, his death. Now, one of the major things that takes place throughout the course of history when the Jewish people are under the oppression of the Romans is the birth of this man named Jesus. Jesus is born into this climate. Jesus does many teachings. He does these great teachings, obviously. He does many miracles. He dies, and then he raises from the dead. And Jesus spurs this movement right, of Jewish people embracing Jesus, not as a political Messiah, but as a rescuer of their souls, right? A spiritual Messiah. This this grand movement that was often referred to as the way explodes. And then it goes beyond the Jewish people where Gentiles were then joining in, which was an incredible, unique thing when you consider the history of the Jewish people and how they fought against the Romans. They were, they were known throughout the Roman world as being the group of people who were most anti-Roman, and they were, they were deeply despised by many people throughout the Roman Empire. For any Roman Gentile person to then join a movement that was birthed out of the Jewish way of life, which would have, would have been seen as crazy and radical and so many ways. So this movement of Christianity begins to explode. It wasn't called Christianity until much later, but this movement of following this Jewish carpenter rabbi, Jesus, as the spiritual Messiah was this crazy idea, but it begins to explode and people by the tens of thousands are joining this movement over the course of several decades. And this movement ends up having a massive impact across the Roman Empire in a variety of different ways. This was a movement that could not have been ignored by historians under any, you know, under any circumstances. So it doesn't surprise us that the man who was charged by the Roman leadership to write down the history of what was going on in Judea and Palestine that he would write about and include this Christian movement that came about. Now, to our knowledge, Josephus never became a Christian. He never converted to Christianity. He was a Jewish person who later in his life became loyal to Roman causes. Uh, there's no evidence that we know that he converted to follow the, the Roman gods. He was probably still Jewish by religion. But, but there's no evidence whatsoever that he would have embraced Christianity as a as a religion that he would follow or believe in, and, and more than that, there's actually evidence that he that he certainly did not by the way he refers to Jesus. Um, but he then clearly documents what the followers of Jesus believed in the days after Jesus's resurrection. So this is a this is a major deal that this guy Josephus is writing quite a bit. He writes stuff, and then his writings would have been well circulated throughout the Roman world. In fact, there are moments throughout. Uh, Christian and Jewish history from, you know, from 100 AD all the way up until, you know, the 4th or 5th century that 
where, where people are quoting and referring to the works of Josephus. Like, this wasn't the secretive thing. It would have been well circulated. People would have known about his writings and would have considered them. In fact, he is, uh, you know, he is quoted by early church fathers. Uh, one of the most famous ones by Eusebius in 325 A.D. He is quoted and making it clear that the writings of Josephus corroborate what we see in the Gospels in the New Testament about Jesus Christ uh, doing miracles, dying, and then raising from the dead. So J Josephus is a very, very important character when it comes to understanding Jewish history and Christian history because he he writes about what was going on in the world. He documents this new Christian movement, and he is really the guy that corroborates much of the New Testament. So when people want to say, well, you know, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. That was something that Christians after the fact invented, um, that the early believers never believed that he rose from the dead. That's actually not true. Josephus makes it clear that the early believers did, in fact, claim to see Jesus raised from the dead. Now, Josephus never says that he believes that Jesus rose from the dead. He just makes it clear that the believers, the followers of Jesus, believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Right? That's, that's an important distinction. He himself didn't embrace that as true, but that he acknowledged that there, there was, in fact, a large segment of people that they themselves had claimed to see Jesus raised from the dead. Um, and that is documented. So if anyone says, well, this wasn't, you know, the idea of the resurrection was never documented until many years later, that's, that's just, that's intellectually dishonest. That's not what we know to be true. There are other sources, other extra biblical sources from the second and third century that do talk about the early church embracing the resurrection of Jesus. But the, the best and most reputable source that we have is from this guy named Flavius Josephus, uh, who was the, the you know, the, the Roman-sponsored Jewish historian in the latter portions of the first century. Now, as I briefly alluded to uh, earlier in this episode when I was quoting uh, Eric Myers, there is a segment of scholars that would like us to believe that maybe Josephus was not nearly as credible as some Christians make him out to be. Now, it is important to note that the number of historians who say this is small. Like most scholars do embrace Josephus as being very accurate and very credible. It's also important to note that this is a relatively contemporary argument. Like most historians throughout the course of, of human history have valued Josephus as a credible source for us to look to when we're, we're learning about the first century. And as we've discovered more and more, you know, uh, manuscripts and, and documents from the first century, the more and more it corroborates Josephus' account, not not discredits his account. Um, I think there there is a group of people that, just they want him to be wrong because they want to be able to attack the New Testament. And, and as time goes on, as archaeologists make more and more discoveries, we keep finding more documentation that actually corroborates the New Testament. We keep finding more manuscripts to corroborate uh, the, the reliability of the New Testament, the authenticity of the New Testament. And more and more, as evidence keeps piling up, it keeps pointing to the fact that the New Testament is actually accurate in, in, its, in its claims about the resurrection of Jesus. And it and it's corroborated by this external source, Josephus. And so the, the liberal theologian kind of perspective is, well, there's only one bit of evidence that, that corroborates the Bible, so let's attack that in order to make the Bible look bad. Although it's not true that's the only evidence, it is the primary source that we, we often go to for extra-biblical sources. And, and so therefore the idea is, well, let's attack him. Well, that's a new argument. That's, that's a contemporary argument. That was never the case. For centuries, people, scholars of all, of all types, embraced Josephus is being accurate in a lot of accounts. And therefore, all of a sudden, 
because it doesn't fit the narrative that they want, they find ways to attack Josephus. Again, that's, just, this, that's intellectually dishonest. The, the other thing I think it's important to remember is that it is plausible that Josephus exaggerated in some ways, right? The fact that he had been a Jewish person and then seemingly, you know, became loyal to Roman causes. There are some Jewish people that would refer to him as a traitor in, in some ways. And so that no, that no doubt ought to be considered when when we're reading his writings. Like maybe he ignored some port, parts of history to make the Romans look better, right? Maybe he maybe he expounded on some things kind of, to, you know, for some sort of political purpose. Maybe that is plausible but you have to, you have to ask yourself what does he what does he gain to to mention the fact that the that the early followers of Jesus believed that Jesus rose from the dead like just logically just use your common sense use your brain and think like what would he have to gain by writing that like if anything he would want to quench that it's quench a word I'm not sure he would want to quench that or he would he would he would he'd want to stop that right he'd want to he'd want to give less credibility to that movement and, and therefore, he would he would possibly ignore the elements of the movement. The fact that he mentions Jesus and gives an account of Jesus that that is that is reflect that or that's equal or congruent with what the New Testament gives us is common sense or kind of logically leads us to believe that it, that's probably actually true because he had motivations to lie about it or to or to completely ignore it altogether. But he chose not to. In my opinion, that's kind of a big deal. The other major response I would give to someone who tries to call into question the credibility of Josephus' work is simply comparing Josephus to all of his contemporary writers. Like whenever we read writings from any historian from the from the first century BC or first or second century AD, like anytime we try to consider their writings, we recognize that there's always going to be some form of, of political influence. Like every historian to some extent is potentially at you know or potentially guilty of uh, exaggerating certain stories. Every historian, to some extent, is is guilty of ignoring certain elements of history to make a particular group of people look better than maybe what they really were. Like every historian is guilty of that to some extent. Some are very guilty of it in, in a plethora or an abundance of ways, and we often end up often end up discrediting those historians altogether in a lot of ways. Uh, and some, some historians are only guilty of this in a minor way, and, and we say, okay, listen, they're guilty of it a little bit here, uh, at least there's some evidence for that, but but it seems like the, the general overall picture we see from what they're writing seems to be accurate, let's, let's trust them. And when you compare Josephus to the other writers, of the other historians without, throughout the Roman Empire in the first and second century, he holds up just as good, if not better, than most of them. And so listen, if you're going to discredit Josephus because there's one or two parts or a few parts that you feel like maybe he exaggerated or a few parts where you feel like he left some things out for political purposes, listen, you're going to have to do that with all history. Right? You're going to have to pretend that the Roman Empire never existed and choose to believe that it never even came to existence because all history to some extent is going to be subjective. All history written by anyone anywhere to some extent is going to be influenced by the personal biases of that particular person. So we don't discredit historians because of that, but we take it, we take it into consideration as we examine their writings. So we should do the same. Listen, we know that Josephus, to some extent, was going to exaggerate some of the stories to make the Romans look better. We know, in some extent, there's going to be there are going to be areas where he ignores certain things that maybe maybe made some of his buddies in the Roman Empire look bad. Right? That's going to be the truth. But he didn't flat out ignore things that that would be substantive or that would be that would be important parts of the story. And therefore, 
therefore, we can still trust a lot of what he said. In fact, as we compare Josephus overall, we see great accuracy when we when we line it up to you know the evidence from archaeology and other sources or other historians and other things that are written. Like in general, Josephus is very credible, and in the parts where maybe there's some there's some room for understanding that maybe he exaggerated or some areas where he's not as credible. None of those areas really directly relate to Christianity. And in fact, if there's if there was ever a reason to ignore a portion of history or to or to discredit in some way, the, the Christian movement that was expanding beyond the Jewish people, no doubt in his mind should have been, you know, oppressed or, or discredited in some way. And he doesn't do that. He had every motivation in the world to want to discredit the Christians and this new way, the following of Jesus, but he doesn't do that. And in fact, he actually corroborates exactly what the New Testament says, that the followers of Jesus had claimed to seeing the, res- the resurrected Jesus and that many of them went about preaching the gospel of Jesus. Like Josephus had every motivation to speak against Christianity but yet he chose to corroborate what the New Testament says to be true. And that is that Jesus Christ did indeed raise from the dead. What an incredible truth that has, has, that has more impact than any other event in human history. One last thought on Josephus. It's important to note that he didn't just write about Jesus. In fact, his mentions of Jesus are pretty small in comparison to the, you know, how big his works are. He writes a lot about the history of the Jewish people in the first century and in the centuries leading up to the first century. He talks a lot about the political nature of the world. He talks about uh, social norms. He talked about he talks about economic trends, economic, you know, trade and commerce. He talks a lot about what was going on in the world when Jesus was born and and lived. And he really gives us a glimpse into first century Jewish life, which if we understand and the culture in which Jesus was born into better, I think overall, it gives us a better understanding of the New Testament. And that is incredibly valuable for every believer. I think that every Christian at some point in their life ought to be acquainted with the works of Josephus. If you're interested in doing more research, I want to push you toward a particular book. It's called Josephus, The Complete Works. Now, there's lots of books out there about Josephus, and there's lots of books that took took all of his works. Um, the one I want to recommend, we're recommending is one that was edited and compiled by J.I. Packer. And again, he takes all of the works of Josephus, puts it in one book, he edits it, and puts it together in a way that is really valuable for the Christian. And so again, it's called Josephus, The Complete Works, edited by J.I. Packer. And I'll make sure I have a link to where you can find that book in the show notes for this episode over at our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope this has been helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you'd like me to address on the podcast, shoot me an email. The address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us. 